This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Today we're going to be discussing a hot topic in the fire service, one that has sparked a lot of discussion in a recent Fire Rescue One article. And uh, that is specifically on the expectations of volunteer memberships. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is sponsored by the Homeland 6 Tactical Radio Straps. These custom radio straps feature extractor washable decontamination, superior comfort, and functionality. Learn more at Homeland6.com. That's HomelandSIX.com. You know, it's pretty normal for us to see thousands of hits on articles, but something about this one has had over 32,000 people take a look, and hundreds have chimed in with comments on social media. The article is titled, And That's Okay, Not All Volunteers Want to Operate Like FDNY. Arguably, this is one of the most engaging articles on Fire Rescue One in the three years that I've been working for Fire Rescue One. The article was written by Dan Rogers of the WIT Volunteer Fire Department in WIT, Illinois. Uh, Dan joined the WIT Volunteer Fire Department in 2005 as a third generation firefighter, working his way up through the ranks and currently serving as an assistant fire chief. Uh, Rogers writes uh, first responder grants in his spare time and uh, through that has accrued more than $3 million in firefighting assets for communities. Rogers is employed full-time as an operator of Phillips 66 Refinery, where he is a member of their emergency response fire team, uh, rope rescue team, and medical team. Chief Rogers, welcome to the Side Alpha Podcast. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you having me here. I've certainly been a, a listener for a long time and a big fan, so it's, it's really an honor to be here uh, talking to you. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, thanks for taking the time. Chief, your article, and that's okay, not all volunteers want to operate like FDNY, has generated considerable discussion on Fire Rescue One and our social media pages. Uh, certainly a hot topic. Uh, you know, wherever it is, it's a hot topic. And that engagement and dedication of volunteer members, um, you know, what, how much is expected of them? What are the requirements? Uh, you underscore that volunteers have lives beyond the station walls, and we can't force them to all have the same level of commitment and passion. Does my description there characterize the key points pretty much from the article? Yeah, Mark, I think so. Uh, the article was really written for the chief officer, uh, mainly of the, the small volunteer combination fire departments that, uh, that are facing this problem that we're seeing throughout the nation with uh, with recruitment and retention issues in the volunteer fire service. Um, we've been pretty fortunate on our department to have a solid membership for quite some time now. So uh, I, I thought it was time to maybe maybe put out some some tools for the tool book that, that has worked well for us so that others can can maybe feed from it or or uh, eliminate some some things that they may be doing on their department. Yeah, so um, I'm sure everybody appreciates the, the tools in the toolbox. It's always something we're looking for. And um, I recognize, and I think you said it as we were talking uh, before the show here, that there's really no cookie cutter answer for how to operate a volunteer fire department or, frankly, for that matter, a paid fire department. Um, in this particular article, there's been over 100 comments 
Most of the responses have been passionate one way or the other, um, uh, very, very much so respectful. But uh, you definitely struck a nerve for some folks here. Uh, I find, you know, that when an author or a writer writes something uh, that's very passionate like that, there's usually a root issue or an event that that triggers the pen uh, for us to, you know, the pen to write the article. Mm-hmm. Was there a particular reason or thing that happened that, that drove you to write this one? Yeah. So I was I was having a, a, a just a very casual conversation with some fire, fire service veterans uh, from from neighboring departments. Uh, we do a a mutual aid officers meeting uh, to where all the mutual aid officers from the area get together. And we, we discuss tactics and, uh, and and we work together so often that, that we want to make sure that we're a very cohesive set of officers and we can fill in, you know, where the others are leaving off. And, uh, and we started discussing the topic of, of membership recruitment retention. And then, uh, and that, that overflowed into a uh, conversation about pride among members of their department, specifically the newer, younger members of the department, five years or less. Uh, and so I, I really started thinking about that and, and jotting some things down and and looking at our own membership and, and what we do and, and the philosophies that how we go about maintaining our membership and the and, and the situations and, and committees and, and programs that we put in place to maintain these guys. And then I started thinking a little bit more about uh, myself as a chief officer and how I approach these situations and and I've got kind of a unique expected or unique perspective on my side of it because uh, as a third generation fireman I was I was walking the station bays um, some you know m- my wife my mom my dad said my first step was was in the station bays of the firehouse I've, I've, I've grown up here I started here when I was young I've grown up all the way through it and so my pra- my pride and passion and commitment to this fire department is 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 as deep as it's ever going to run but at the same time i am married with a wife i do have three small children and uh and my responsibilities to them um and my commitment to them and what they need uh have also given me another outlook so so my evolution as a as a firefighter in my career moving up to a, a chief officer uh has changed as i've as i've gotten married and i, I i've seen my kids start to grow and, and need me around and, and deserve to have me around a little bit more. So um, that was really what what struck the nerve for me and, and, and made me put the pen to paper, uh, so to speak, to, to write this article is, is the conversation with the with those officers that got got the ball rolling and then and then really taking a look in the mirror and thinking, am I doing the best that I can be doing for my department uh, based on the experiences I have? Uh, and a perspective that I have as a as a husband and father. Sure. Yeah. Before we get into uh, a couple of the passages, you mentioned a couple of times the the ways that you um, run your department or incentivize your department. Um, and while we didn't talk about this before, can you can you give us a little bit of an idea of what some of those ways are? What are some of those tools of how you um, um, help uh, instill the pride and maintain the pride in your membership. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a firm believer, uh, especially in volunteer fire department world, that that call volume, call volume is first and foremost. Uh, uh, you know these these guys are these volunteers. They're looking for that that little bit of uh, 
a spark, a little bit of excitement in their everyday lives, um, maybe the adrenaline rush. So call volume is always number one. Now, there's only so much we can do as far as call volumes until you become the chief officer. And, uh, you know, one thing that's it's super important, and, and I tell the it's important on grants and it's important even from a recruitment retention is is your automatic mutual aid agreements. If you're if you're not actively in an automatic mutual aid agreement to where you can see your call volume increase up and you can you can get these guys on the engine on the piece out the door a little bit more often uh, and get that excitement flowing, uh, you're going to have more engagement. That's just that's just how it is. Uh, the second second part of it is, is make sure you're requesting the grants that are available, especially on the recruitment retention front. You request a safer grant, you've got opportunities for nominal stipends, you've got length of service awards, you've got uh, multiple training opportunities uh, that you can put these to that, you, they, they, that these guys may not have otherwise had the opportunity to go and do. Uh, there's just there's just a lot of, lot of tools like that out there that we use to keep them engaged. And then last but not least, uh, and, and possibly the most important one is, is you got to give these guys responsibility within the department. Every department has those four or five guys that, that, that really know the department in and out that, that are the backbone of the department that run all the calls that, that do all the things within the department. Right. And, and so uh, delegating some of the tasks that they do uh, to give these younger members, these newer members, some stake in the department give them something to do, give them something to build. As I've said several times, you cannot force a feeling on somebody. You, you can't do it, whether it's love, pride, uh, happiness, you cannot force a feeling on to somebody. But what you can do is you can facilitate that. And and the way to facilitate that is definitely going to be giving them some responsibility. Let them build something to call their own within the department, whether it's just a, a basic inventory or whether it's uh, helping it spec out an engine or an aerial or a tanker and, uh, and and let them be a part of something. And then when they see that that aspect of that responsibility grow uh, with responsibility comes commitment with commitment comes pride. That that's how you get to the pride factor. Uh, but just just to walk into people and say, hey, you have to have pride in this department. Uh, you're going to you're fighting a losing battle. It's just it just doesn't work that way. So say that again. You said responsibility comes commitment with commitment. You said comes pride, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, you know, it kind of takes me to my next thought. And that uh, as I read a couple passages out of the article, um, the first one I'll read here is, uh, and this is the quote from the article. It says, we often, we often try to push pride in our department onto the younger members, but many of them weren't raised with the same sense of community as we were. So they'll likely never carry that pride and that's okay. So that's the quote. And, you know, from the uh, tradition purist amongst us, I dare say myself, that pride pill is, is a bitter pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. So how do we maintain those traditions um, and serve and serve our communities without that sense of pride? Or is what you just talked about giving them responsibility? Is that really how you've been able to build some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the responsibility uh, has gone so far in this department that it's worked out really well. Um, so we've we've set up some committees in here, and 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 by the and by the the community here here's what I'm kind of getting at with this, and I want I want the understanding 
uh, out there just a little bit more is, is, you know, when I was younger and we had a, we had a local homecoming here, you would get thousands of people show up to the local homecoming because everybody that was from this area that's moved away would then come home, right? Everybody would sure. come home. You'd see everybody uh, that you get out. That's, that's the community. Hey, I've got some pride in the community. The fire department at there was doing their local fundraiser at the, at the homecoming. And, and, you know, it would be a, a great success. You know, you'd have thousands and thousands of dollars and, uh, and things would be great. Now we've got at our fingertips the avail availability to check in on somebody else who we haven't seen in 10 years at the push of a button on social media. So we keep seeing these these local homecomings uh, dwindle and get smaller and smaller and smaller because because uh, John and Jane Smith no longer need to come home uh, to see take that opportunity to come home with a homecoming to see all their friends that they haven't seen in 20 years because they just saw the seven pictures they posted last night on, on Facebook, on social media or on Instagram, you know, they, they've seen it all. So, so our sense of community as a whole is starting to dwindle down. Uh, and that, that flows right into the fire service. The, the, the same thing, it, it, it carries right over into the fire service in that, in that same aspect is, is social media carries such a large, uh, such a large, presence in our life that we don't need um, to show up to those community events, you know, sure. as often as, as what's needed. On the yeah. flip side, going back to the responsibility part is, is yeah, that's how we're keeping guys engaged on our department is, is giving them responsibility, uh, signing those automatic mutual aid agreements with the other departments and keeping the, the wheels on the apparatus moving as much as possible. Uh, and, and last but not least is is our training. We're trying to get some good interactive training out there, some hands-on on stuff, on some hands-on training based on our target hazards uh, within our community, uh, and and really trying to make it interactive, fun, uh, so that that way they're going to want to show up and and train a little bit more often. So, um, yeah, sure. Now, so let's take a look at uh, one of the one of the other passages. And this is a quote from the article. I can't tell you how many times I have been frustrated by a low member turnout for an early morning carbon monoxide call, a fender bender, or even an annual fundraiser, just to see 25 members turn out at the last structure fire. It happens. The real question, how can we sustain an adequately sized membership, cater to our young generation, and keep the older generation happy at the same time? You can't and you won't, and that's okay. So I, I know I've seen this happen exactly what you just described all over the country. You'll get uh, 10 calls for uh, that, that smoke alarm, that carbon dioxide alarm, or maybe it's a medical support call uh, that someone fell or has a bloody nose or whatever, and nobody will turn out. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, you get that structure fire and, and everybody turns out. Uh, the, you know, the volunteer model really was built from uh, the bootstraps up, the, the members had to physically raise the funds, cook the chickens, mash the potatoes, wash the car, sell the Christmas trees, whatever it took to raise money and to sustain the department. Uh, that was certainly the way I came up through the volunteer system. What's changed other than social media? What's changed? What happened? And if it's okay, how do we keep our people involved now uh, beyond the things that you've already talked about? So what's changed? Uh, first, first of all, what's changed is, is our generation 
has changed, right? We're we're seeing a whole new generation of folks coming in, and and I know as a chief, I'm I'm on the younger side, uh, as a uh, as a early early millennial uh, coming into a to a chief officer position, and I and I get that. So what's changing is is I think a lot of the home life. You know, back in the old back in the older days, we'll say um, it was expected that the you know that the wives stay home and the and the the husbands go and do the work and and come home and and do what they need to do uh, in the community and that that was that and now you see that that the husbands are taking more of a proactive approach in in the household and they're they're also doing the cleaning and now you're now you're seeing a lot of stay at home dads type situations so I think I think one thing has to be uh, one thing that's changed and has to be acknowledged is that we're not living two decades ago and what worked two decades ago isn't necessarily going to work today in the fire service. We have to be able to recognize the, the group of people that we have working for us, that that, that are coming in and showing up and, and pulling on those bootstraps every day on the, on the structure fires and on the small calls. The main premise of this article and the main thing that I wanted to get across uh, to especially the chief officers there is that you're not gonna make everybody happy. You're never gonna make everybody happy and that's okay. If, if you try to make everybody happy and you fail, you're going to end up a salty old officer uh, with no friends because it's just it's just not going to happen. And, and, and you need to understand that that's OK. Don't lose sleep over that. Just do everything you can to get everybody engaged from the top down. Uh, and how do we do that? That's the question is how do we keep everybody engaged? How do we get everybody showing up to the fundraisers, to the 3 a.m. calls, to the 4 a.m. calls? uh carbon monoxide uh sick cases uh ambulance assist how how do we get those guys there and 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 the the short answer is is you're not you're not going to get you're not going to get 25 guys as a member assist uh and the reason is this is you've got two two types of firefighters you've got a uh a firefighter that that wants to be treated just like they're a they're a paid firefighter all the time you know they they're their wish is to be a paid firefighter. They wish they could run fire calls every second of every day of their entire lives, and they would be just fine with that. And then you've got the firefighter that's just fine with being a volunteer firefighter. He's just fine with attending the minimum amount of required training, call volume, uh, and, and and meetings. He's just fine with uh, doing the basic uh, that needs to be done at the fundraiser. So let me read this passage, okay. and it kind of talks about where you're at. So this passage says, and this is the quote, volunteers are simply on loan to this department. They're on loan from their families, hobbies, dreams, and jobs. They have lives beyond our station walls, and we must remember that to keep them paying into this loan, we cannot force them to feel the same as us. So, you know, I'll say to the comment and what you said, there are a lot of uh, volunteers who want to be treated just like paid staff, who want to do all of uh, the same things that paid staff do. And, um, and, you know, that actually is typical to what I hear. But your comments obviously suggest something contrary. And that's what we're talking about here. Right. So what is it that, uh, you know, how do we create that balance? Uh, I think it goes back to and I'm I'm asking a question and answering the question with you. But I think it goes back to there's no cookie cutter uh answer to how this works yeah you're absolutely right there there is definitely no cookie cutter what works for my department definitely doesn't work for the neighboring departments and uh 
and, and everything based on on call volume, uh, service area, population to choose from, and culture within the fire department gets taken into account on on recruitment and retention factors. Um, like I said, I, I believe it goes back to those two types of firefighters. You know, like I I've got several of those on my department. The several of the guys who who eat, sleep, and breathe uh, running fire calls. The small ones, the big ones, and everything in between. Uh, and then I've got guys who who are just okay with with running the big calls because they know we're going to need some extra help, but also understand that uh, we've got these real go-getters on this. So the, the 5 a.m. call, uh, John and Jack, who are super excited to, to, to ride the engine every day, they're going to go handle that that early morning CO call. I'm going to go ahead and stay snuggled up in bed uh, next to my flower here. You know, that's that that's their thought process. Uh, right. Right. And we just need to understand that and, and and be okay with it. And the the reason why we'd be okay with it is because uh, w as soon as we start to force volunteers to feel the exact same way as what we do, we're starting to drive that wedge in between. Uh, nothing at all drives someone away like telling a volunteer they're not exem exemplifying enough passion uh, for the job. I you know I've been there on on other clubs that I've tried to be a part of, uh, you know. In addition to the fire department, you know, when you're told, you know, you're just not showing enough passion here, uh, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing is, has pushed me away farther than that. So we're we're trying to get out of that, um, out of that idea that we can force passion or pride onto these onto these other members there. Uh, and so it goes back to those two types of firefighter and acknowledging the fact that there is two types of firefighters. And, uh, you know, making sure these younger guys or these guys that, that want to be just volunteers right now, making sure that they're meeting the minimum requirements uh, to keep themselves and everybody else on the fire ground safe. That's our priority with those guys. It'll come. It may never come, but but we hope it comes. We hope it comes <laughs> right. full circle and they come on around, right? And, right, and, right. and they really, really dig into this department and take hold in it. And, and realistically, it could be something like they've got a small a small family right now with small children and feel that their time need to be devoted. Or maybe they're an avid fisherman or or something like that. And, and they might be very seasonal for you. You know, in the summertime, you might see a little bit of them. But in the wintertime, when the lakes and, and ponds are frozen, they're 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 one of your better firemen. So the point is here is is with these guys in, in specific, we need to judge them on the job they do when they show up and not judge them on how much they don't show up, right? So if just because they don't show up to the 3 a.m. Uh, CO call doesn't mean when they hit that structure fire and climb the engine on that structure fire that my community is not more protected because they're there. Because in, in retrospect, if, if they're doing the, the minimum amount of training required by my department, they had better be trained enough to be an asset on the department, which they are. Right. Right. Sure. Yep. So let's uh, let's switch over and look at some of the comments uh, on Facebook. But before we do that, let's uh, hear a word from our sponsor. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are heavy duty, yet lightweight and 100 percent made in USA. These are the world's first custom radio straps made from military grade nylon that's used in ballistic vests. Unlike traditional leather, they're also extractor washable for pathogens like COVID-19 and carcinogen decon. These are making leather straps a thing of the past. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are available in multiple colors with adjustable, regular, and extra large sizes. 
even with reflective or glow-in-the-dark patterns and custom text. New customers can receive a discount on their first order of tactical radio straps or accessories at homeland6.com. That's homelandsix.com. We're back discussing the article, and that's okay. Not all volunteers want to operate like FDNY by Chief Dan Rogers. Uh, Chief, again, I appreciate you putting the topic out there. I also appreciate that when we see uh, so much reader engagement with an article, especially when people actually uh, take the time to contribute constructive comments and engagement, uh, that you know we need to acknowledge that. So here's a couple interesting comments from the post. Uh, some positive, some uh, not so positive. So I'm just going to read a couple of these, and we can talk about uh, uh, you know the group as we're done there. So one of the comments says, "I'm sorry, but no." You are the last hope for the citizens, and it is expected of you to have the same passion and commitment to service as any department, big or small. Uh, The citizens deserve your best, and if you cannot provide that level, then I suggest you find a new hobby. This isn't a club. This is someone's life, whether actual or their life's work in the form of property. So a very passionate person who just disagrees with you, but uh, they were respectful in the way Absolutely. They disagreed. Here's a positive comment. It says, a good perspective. Thanks for a few more tools and thanks for your talent in grant writing for not only your department, but others. So uh, somebody acknowledging that. Uh, then uh, here's one that says, we cannot force them. It's, it's actually quoting you and it says, uh, we cannot force them to have the same level of commitment and compassion. That was the quote. Then it says, uh, but you should absolutely expect it, instill it and get rid of those who don't exemplify it. And then finally, uh, another positive comment says, uh, you can, at least I think it's a positive comment, um, you can have a professional volunteer fire department. Uh, that culture has to start from the top to make training serious and worthwhile. The image you present is the image that is your citizen, that is in your citizens' minds. I've seen career departments that were a joke and volunteers that put them to shame. It's a management decision and everyone needs to buy in. And that's their comment. And I will say there that I've seen uh, both paid and volunteer departments that would fall into the category he just described there. So that that's not a shot at paid over volunteer. It's To me, it's a shot at professionalism, which uh, I've said for a long time, professionalism has nothing to do with a paycheck. Right. So what do you got to say about those comments? Uh, yeah, so first and foremost, I was really overwhelmed by the amount of feedback that this article received. Uh, it, was, it was a passionate subject for me uh, personally, uh, but but the feedback was simply overwhelming. I really appreciated everything that I saw um, on all the social media accounts, even even on the, the website itself uh, was, was outstanding. Um, with that being said, the first and third comments, I completely understood the points the men were trying to get at. I'm not sure they understood my intent when I wrote the wrote the article. Um, my article was definitely not to okay the lack of pride or commitment within the fire service or within any department. It was written to allow others to understand that pride, which is a feeling, just simply cannot be forged on a person at all. I do agree with the comment that the one guy said that said you should absolutely expect it. Uh, we do expect pride, especially from our longstanding members. Uh, but we need to understand that that for new guys to come up, we can only facilitate the pride. We can't we can't necessarily force it on them or tell them at any given time that you need to have pride in this department and then and then that's it. You know, you now now you've got the pride. That it just doesn't work that way. 
Sure. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier, uh, just touched a little bit earlier on, on how you can facilitate pride. Um, and, and we'll probably touch on some a little bit later when we talk about the committees. Um, but I do agree it does need to happen from the top down. The, the first look at your department um, as, chief, as a chief officer, should first, in, in my opinion, should be right in the mirror and make sure. sure you're doing everything that you can do from your perspective and from your platform up there uh, to give these guys a fighting chance to have long and, and good volunteer firefighting careers. So uh, shifting gears uh, from the reader's comments for just a second, we, we did talk earlier and you mentioned just a second ago about committees and whatnot, but we talked about uh, today's volunteers not having that same pride factor mm-hmm. uh, that some of the older folks grew up with. And it was, um, I liked your analogy of, um, you know, when you had those community events, you had to come to the event to experience the event. Yep. Now you just got to pick up your phone and look at Facebook and you can experience the event. So from a building pride perspective, it's a totally different dynamic than it was when when I was growing up. Yep. Um, so I, I like I appreciate that um, analogy. So as we talk to the chiefs, though, that are out there, and we talk about uh, getting a plan for volunteer engagement and uh, you talk about focusing on training and, and the department pride. Can you talk to the, our leaders, our chiefs that are listening? How can they use training to improve uh, volunteer engagement? Yeah, I think uh, for our department, we've seen it work time and time again. The number one training tool that we keep our disposal is critiques, call mm-hmm. critiques. Uh, and, and the reason why is this is is those those big calls, those structure fires where you're getting the maximum amount of people that you're going to get at these calls. It's important for us as chief officers to come right back, get the trucks back in service and sit down and do a quick critique of the call. Uh, we were able to identify both the negative issues that we have during the scene and, and almost more importantly, the positives, the things that we did well at that fire scene. And then both of those need to be readdressed again to the membership as a whole. So with that, you need to understand now that, that the younger generation are coming in with with um with a little bit tougher feelings i would say uh to 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 master i guess is is where i'm going with that you know it's it's going to be a little little bit more difficult to to stand up and call out johnny for for turning on a hydrant three rounds instead of all the way open uh and singling that guy out because in today's generation the generation of of uh the generation that we are we are dealing with right now um that just that just doesn't work you're gonna you're you're gonna have issues with those particular guys and you're gonna start seeing people get their feelings hurt a little bit more often uh which which i understand when it comes time to safety you know it has to be covered right but the way that we do it is is we like to first give credit where credit's due based on these critiques, right? You you come in here and you say, good job doing this, 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 and this. And then we follow up with, hey, here's how we need to get better. This is we had this issue right here on the fire ground. And without calling out Joe Smith right there for doing that, you know, just say, you know, we had a we had a water supply issue, our hydrant was only opened up five rounds instead of the full seven rounds that the quarry hydrant needs to be opened up. Or you know, we uh, we had two guys pulled back that were, were near the hot zone that, that were in turnout gear, but their SCBA mask wasn't clipped in or the regulator wasn't clipped in. Those types of things uh, it is what we look at uh, after calls and address with the membership as a whole, because a lesson learned should be a lesson shared. Uh, 
sure. and it doesn't hurt everybody on the department to hear that um hear that as well and then to take that a step further that's what we build our training off of and the reason we build our training off of the call critiques is because people were there they lived it they just lived that call it's it's still fresh in their mind they were a part of it they understood uh they could they, they were just pointed out the issues and now now it's time that we correct them as a group again sure. uh history is bound to repeat itself right if we don't fix it it's just so the fact of the matter is if we can if we can stop what we're doing right here at this training and and tackle some of the issues that we had at our most recent calls at the next call we expect 100 percent not to see that issue come up again uh or at least marked improvement uh from the last call uh and i, I think that's i think that's key to keeping these guys uh very very well trained and engaged in training and then on top of that I mean, everybody says that I'm no different. You got to keep training fun. You got to keep, you got to keep people's hands. These firefighters, you got to have tools in their hands. You have to give them opportunity. Anybody can set up there and read a PowerPoint, but when you put, you got to take the time to set up trainings and put tools in guys' hands, and and, and that's where it's going to be. That's where it's going to be most beneficial for you as a department uh, in terms of fire ground efficiency and safety, and also keeping firefighters engaged. Sure. So the other thing we talked about was uh, department pride, and, and you talked about uh, committees. Yes. And, uh, suggested committee involvement. Can you share a little bit on that idea? Yeah, absolutely. Committees have been uh, probably the best uh, re retention tool that we've had here at my department, and, and even some of the surrounding departments now that are starting to implement these committees, um, they're, they're really starting to see su su success with this. And, and when I say committee, I'm not just talking about Hey, we're going to spec out a new truck. Let's form a committee. I'm talking about you. You get a committee of three guys, and they're in charge of all small engines. And you get a committee of three guys, and they're they're in charge of personal equipment, pagers, uh, uh, PPE, uh, you know, your your t-shirts, job shirts, whatever type of whatever type of uh, clothing that you hand out. And and by getting five or six of these committees together and assigning these members uh, to these committees you're now starting to form that little bit of responsibility, right? And it's it's twofold too, because uh, before that, the chief officer in our department was always in charge of keeping track of the PPE, giving out the PPE, keeping track of the NFPA dates on it and making sure we're not, somebody's not walking around and and, and gear that's past the, the NFPA mark. And these guys, have, these guys are taking this, these jobs that we're giving them, these relatively uh mundane tasks uh on the part of the the chief officer who has a little bit higher administrative stuff to deal with and and they're taking them and they're running with them and they're they're really taking stake and taking responsibility in it uh and it's starting to build and then then when it comes time for monthly meeting night we give each of these committees an opportunity to speak so uh you know the personnel commitment committee what do you guys have for us hey we need three sets of gear we've got two guys that are nearing uh, the one year mark before their gear goes out of NFPA compliance, uh, we need to get them, uh, you know, measured and get their gear going. A lot of these, a lot of these members who are on this committee might not have otherwise spoke up at the meeting, but now by, by giving them a group and committee, you've given them a voice at the meeting. Uh, now they can step in as the meeting and guess what? When those two guys, when that, when that gear gets in and, and gets ordered and gets into the department, uh, these guys now have 
stake in the department. They can now say, yep, I, I developed that. And, and, and we're always looking for feedback from them as well. Hey, is the radio loop in the right spot? Do we want to go with a, a back flap or no back flap? You know, is the, is the uh, striping good? You know, do we want to configure the pockets a little bit different? You know, reach out to the members of your department. And then when there's a noted change on this PPE, uh, you know, these, these guys are responsible for it. And they're, 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 they're part of that change. They're part of the, the improvement on the department. And, and that's where, that's where you see that responsibility leads to commitment. And then that commitment meets, leads to pride. That's how you, that's how you bridge the gap from a new member coming on, not having a voice to a, a new member taking pride in that department right there, giving them, sure. giving them some responsibility, giving them something to, to grab a hold of and make their own. And then you'll see it. Cause I mean, there's, there's been time and time again to where, you know, you, you, you might have this guy that's done this inventory and you walk over, you said, Hey, what if you do it like this? And that guy shoots him a look like, Hey man, I just spent days working this inventory up. You're not going to, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't want to hear your suggestions. I just worked hard on this. You know, like that right there is saying he has taken stake and, and what he's just done right there, you know, and, and that's, that's all you can ask for. You know, that's, that's exactly all you can ask for. And uh, it's worked extremely well with our department. It's given guys voices that they wouldn't have normally had during a meeting. And, uh, and then also uh, the more committees you have established and, and you shift guys around, these guys start really learning the ins and outs of the department a little bit more. And so when it comes time to, to knowing NFPA requirements on gear and it comes time to knowing how all the small engine starts and, and which ones take gas and oil mix and which one takes gasoline mix. You know, now these things are getting covered and getting handled by each member. And as they're swapping around, you're starting to starting to form some really well, well-rounded firefighters um, yeah. within yeah. the department that, that's going to pay dividends year for years. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. So I know, um, you know, as we come towards a, a close here, I, I know you've said it uh, that that you probably didn't expect this kind of engagement yeah. uh, from this article. But uh, if you had to ultimately say there was one thing you wanted people to take away from reading this article, what would that be? Uh, really, uh, almost just what the uh, almost just what the title says. Uh, you're you're going to have guys that are that are just not fully there. Uh, I, I really just want want these chief officers to judge these members on on what they bring to the table when they show up uh not judge them on on when they don't show up there's just there's too many firefighters out there that are exceptional firefighters that simply do not have the time and or resources to be there all the time they have wives that are very strict they have hobbies that they want to do or they have jobs that keep them keep them away uh, from the fire service. But when they do show up, they're exceptional firefighters. Judge those members for what they bring to the table when they show up and not judge them on how much they don't show up. Uh, I think I think as a chief officer, you'll you'll be much happier uh, at the end of the year. And uh, the negative criticism that those firefighters are 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 not going to receive if you can do that uh, will will you know, bridge the gap for he's going to start showing up just a little bit more uh, and doing what he can when he can uh, for your department. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Chief, uh, some good conversation here. And uh, I want to capture uh, some some takeaways 
from uh, the article that we talked about and um, be before we close out. So as we look back, uh, we talked about um, recruitment and retention tools and how uh, not only what you use as far as uh, training and uh, committee assignments and those types of things, but how grant opportunities are available for people. And really all they need to do is, um, I say all they need to do, I know it's harder than that, but all they need to do is reach out. They need to look for those grant opportunities and reach out for somebody that can help them with that. We talked about there being no cookie cutter answer uh, for really much of this, for how yeah. to run a department, uh, either paid or volunteer. Uh, then we talked about a lifetime commitment and the difference between a lifetime commitment of somebody like you, who uh, mm -hmm. probably took your first steps as a as a child uh, in the fire station because of a third generation um, uh, department or third generation family that uh, from the fire service that you're in and how the difference between then and now with especially social media and how there's not that same kind of uh, necessarily lifetime commitment because people have gone in so many different directions than we used to be able to go in. Uh, we talked a lot about conversations of pride. Um, you, you gave some examples of uh, things that are important to the volunteers and you said that call volume, generally speaking, call volume was number one. Uh, that's the adrenaline rush. That's and frankly, for a lot of paid folks, it's the same. Number one, when you talk about it, call volume is the thing that gets their adrenaline going and gets them uh, rushing. But the one that uh, um, really is important for people to take away, and I want to spend just a second on this, is the automatic aid agreements. I, I was applauding and clapping and yelling and screaming when you said it. You just couldn't hear me. That <laughs> if more people would understand that automatic aid agreements will not only increase call volumes and the engagement with other departments, it will make things better and safer for your communities and for your firefighters. Might you lose a little bit of area because someone else is actually closer to it? Well, you know what? That's better for the community. Absolutely. At the end of the day, if you're working together, you're providing faster service, you're providing better service both to your community and to the firefighters that um, are working and depending on each other, then you've done the right thing. Right. And if that's what automatic aid agreement is, well, then, you, again, you've done the right thing. Again, we talked about grant opportunities. Um, you talked uh, quite a bit about giving members responsibility and how uh, with responsibility comes commitment and with commitment comes pride. So simply the fact of telling someone you have to have pride in the department isn't necessarily going to work. Uh, giving them the responsibility brings commitment and then with commitment comes pride. Uh, we talked about, uh, again, more about setting up committees and having the opportunities and how social media has turned the traditional sense of community on its nose. That's talked right. about hands-on training and why that's important to make sure that um, our, our people are not just on the computer learning or not just in a book, but are actually out there doing hands-on training. Again, something I applaud and agree with 100% paid or volunteer. Our folks need to be out there on the street doing hands-on training. Uh, the general uh, generational changes and how uh, things have really changed. And I kind of chuckled when you said uh, we have to recognize that uh, things that worked two decades ago won't work the same way today. I actually continue to fight that with some people, but it's four decades ago. Oh, yeah. People, I you know, people that have been in the system for four decades that bless their heart, they're doing a fantastic job for their community, but things are different. Yes. And you cannot continue to operate 
um, you know, the, the way we used to operate. If we did that, we wouldn't wear seatbelts. We'd still ride back steps. We'd still wear rubber coats. We'd still have three-quarter boots. We'd still have sponges in our mouths. That's right. So we don't. things are not the same as they were two decades ago, three decades ago, four decades ago. And that was an important takeaway is to make sure that people understand, you know what, it's, uh, it's just not the same as it used to be. Right. Another important takeaway was that what works on – and you said it a little bit differently, so I'm paraphrasing. Yep. What works on Main Street VFD in Illinois might not work the same on Main Street VFD in Florida or Michigan or Oregon or Rhode Island. Ultimately, you've got to find what works for your community and make sure that you're doing everything you can to instill pride in your own membership. You talked about the intent of your article uh, being to articulate, indeed, that you can't force pride, that you have to instill and demonstrate pride, and that chiefs, and I love this, and I've used this this, uh, parallel before, chiefs need to look in the mirror from time to time when we're talking about the pride issue and make sure that they're exhibiting uh, the, the pride and they're exhibiting those traits that they want their membership to emulate. We talked about the uh, number one, or you talked about the number one training tool that you use in your department is uh, call critiques and how that's important to be able to have lessons learned so that they can be lessons shared. Another important takeaway, lessons learned should be lessons shared. Needing to get folks involved in committees again that came up and how uh, actually giving them responsibility is uh, a way to help instill pride. So, Chief, I want to thank you for joining us uh, here on Side Alpha Podcast. Is there anything else that uh, you'd like to add? Uh, no, Mark, man, you hit the nail on the head. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and uh, and discuss the article. And and I look, uh, look forward to talking to you soon, hopefully in the future. Sure, absolutely. And uh, for our folks, we've been talking with uh, Assistant Chief Dan Rogers of the Witt, Illinois Volunteer Fire Department about, about his article, and that's okay. Not all volunteers want to operate like the FDNY. Chief, thanks again, and I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us here. Join us on FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com for the latest news and information affecting the fire service worldwide. This is Mark Bayshore, Executive Editor for Fire Rescue One, asking you to stay smart, keep safe, and take care.